Merry Christmas. One more time. Merry Christmas. A day that belongs to believers as we celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift that we have received in Him. May this day be marked by joy in all believers. Again, reiterate Elder Bob sharing about the retreat. It's going to be a special retreat. Um, I mean, largely because we're gathering on the Word of God. A man of God will be teaching us um, God's will for us as a church. And so it's always special. But doubly so this year because we're having some very special guests, as many of you know. Um, Peter Smith and his wife Sonia and their four children will be joining us at the retreat. And also accompanying them will be our own um, 15-month term, 18-month term missionaries, Joe Jung and Elaine Jung. So it's going to be just a great time in the Word, great time in fellowship, and uh, just to kind of spend time together that weekend. It's going to be a tremendous joy. So look forward to having you, having all of you being there and uh, participating with us in the coming February. Well, what an incredible week we've had. I was telling the leadership minister, leaders uh, earlier that can't believe a week ago where we had our staff retreat, um, and uh, during that time, the pillars had their pillars activity, the married fellowship activity. My wife actually, I talked to her while she was there, and she was telling me just how great it was, the decorations and the food, and, and afterwards she was telling me just what a great time was had by all. Special thanks to the choice and the ease for their uh, faithful service in preparing that. Um, and then sur- Sunday service last Sunday. And then a special um, gift from the children's ministry. I have placed it on my desk and uh, we're praying for the children this week. And then last Sunday night, uh, the singles had their uh, let's get sick together activity. <laughs> you know, where they were just having too much fun and shared all over the World Wide Web kind of uh, fellowship. And that was a very eventful, unforgettable night for many years to come. And then Tustin Placentia had their super flock. Actually, Buena Park Fullerton had it last Thursday. Wasn't able to join because of our staff retreat. Tustin Placentia this past Thursday. Irvine CBF. And then Downey Cerritos. And then last night, just what an incredible time, wasn't it? Uh, the praise team. A little better yes, last night than this morning, but it's all good. And you guys were just... Shelling last night, and uh, Pastor Marcus did an incredible job. I mean, he gave one of those sermons. Um, he, you know, God spoke through him, poured himself out. Uh, incredible job. I was, it was just so encouraging, so powerful. Uh, the, the gospel message that that Pastor Marcus gave. Um, so blessed. Even the car wash. Heard that many of you were out there washing cars for free, and these people were amazed. They, they wanted to know, what was, what was the hook here? What's the angle? And it was purely to show our love for Christ by demonstrating, by serving others, and sharing the gospel. And uh, the leaders and pastors were so encouraged by the faithful ministry of evangelism by so many of you. So, what a week it has been for us. Only two more Sundays, today and next week. And... Um, we're closing out 2006. So way to go and end the year with a bang. Um, second hour, we'll be presenting to you the first part of a two-part State of the Church uh, announcements. We'll be doing our SWOT analysis, sharing that with you, and our two key decisions that the elders have made to uh, lead and guide us in the upcoming year.
Today I have a special Christmas sermon prepared for every one of you. Uh, Titus 2, verse 2. <laughs> Men be dignified. Right? So, on Christmas meals today, be dignified, be grave, be stately. Perfect for this occasion. Before we get into it, i got to do some recanting here. I made a serious mistake last week. made a serious error in my sermon. I uh, made a statement that I regret. And I must begin our time by making a strong recantation. And for the record, state it rightly. Talked about last week how older men, according to Titus 2.1, is not old men, but older men. So in the congregation, uh, there are men who are relatively older than other men, and they are to be considered older men. And I said how at other churches, larger churches, older churches, Older men would be men who are 50 and above. And I said for Cornerstone, because of our relative youth, uh, older men would be those who are 30 and above. My mistake. I was wrong. I take that back. Actually, it would be 29 and above. <laughs> You'd be considered older men of Cornerstone. My math was off. I don't know what I was thinking. So all you 77s out there... This sermon is for you. Okay, should I have you stand up just to make sure we have you in our radar? So, older men, 29 and above. Before we go to our specific study, let's review. Again, I want to belabor this point, the intent, the purpose of these exhortations by Paul. Because it's such a temptation for us out of our fear of man, to do these things for people's sake, for believers' sake, for pastors' and leaders' sake, for men to seek to be temperate, grave, dignified, and, and, and sober, for older men to be priest-like, younger women and younger men, to do, to do these things and almost behavior modification, almost performance for the sake of man, we need to belabor this point that our ultimate reason is not man-centered. It's not man-driven. We want to be these things in every way for the glory of God, for the purposes of exalting God and His glory and the gospel of God. So, as often as I can, I want to belabor the purpose clauses that are found in this passage in verse 5, verse 8, and verse 10. Paul exhorts, and Paul exhorts Titus to exhort the church, and therefore Paul is exhorting all of us that we must have these qualities in increasing measure so that the Word of God will not be maligned. That as the world sees Christians, that they would have nothing negative to say about God's Scriptures, about God's truth. We want to hold up the Word of God individually as Christians and corporately as a body of believers. Hold it high and they can't blaspheme, vilify, denigrate Scripture at all because of our lives. We want to live in these ways so that they will be ashamed. They have nothing bad to say about us. Not only can they, can they not malign God's Word, they can't malign us. Just like Daniel, he lived such an impeccable life, a life of no compromise. There was nothing to accuse him. And his accusers were ashamed. We want that the same, to be true for us, the same thing to be true for us, for non-believing members of our family, 
our friends, our sphere of influence, co-workers, our neighbors, they want to look, they want, we want them to look at us and be convicted. Be convicted by, by the Holy Spirit of their, of their sinfulness, of their hypocrisy, of their failings to live up to God's moral law. And finally, we want them to, we want to live this, have these qualities, have these characteristics, so that we might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that we might show God as He is. Beautiful. Attractive. Desirable. Sweet. Marcus just started off so well last night, where he presented Christ, not just doctrinal truth, but he presented Christ with the yearning of a man's heart, calling men to see the treasure that Christ is, how beautiful He really is, how awesome, how powerful, how majestic He is, and calling people to, to, to that kind of appreciation of Christ, not just an informational understanding of Christ. Well, that's what we want to do. And when we live lives in that way, we make God beautiful. We make Him attractive. See, that's why we pursue right life that fits right doctrine. And for us, right life is not about prayer, word, evangelism, or personal piety. These things do not influence the world for Christ. See, it used to because the church was filled with non-Christians or marginal believers because the, the culture in America used to be a somewhat Christian culture. So if you were in a church with non-believers or, or nominal Christians and you actually read the Word, you actually prayed, you came to service early and left late, you had personal obedience, you would, by your Christian life, challenge these nominal believers, these quote-unquote carnal, lukewarm believers. But it is not that way any longer. The church needs to be pure, believers. And for the world, these things do not impress them. For the world, they're not moved by our piety, by our devotion to prayer, or devotion to ministry. What moves cold hearts? What moves uh, unbelievers? Are these things, as we see in Titus 2. If you, have, if, you have, if you don't have your Bibles open, please open to Titus 2, 2 through 10. And let's reconsider our philosophy of evangelism, our strategy for evangelism. It is by having godly men and women go out and proclaim the gospel individually. Also, for a godly man to stand behind the pulpit and preach the gospel, so that they would come and observe our lives. And then when they come and observe our lives, they won't walk away disgusted because they find men who are undignified, men who are given to extremes. They find men who are not disciplined. They find women who are out of control, living lives apart from the home. They they find young men. They They don't leave. They see the life that supports the gospel and God uses that to convict them follow Christ. This is a review of, really, Cornerstone's philosophy of evangelism here and throughout the world. That's why we are beginning with the church. That's why our intent, our purpose is to shepherd our people, shepherd ourselves. Uh, we had a sister yesterday, I think Gloria's friend was visiting us. She was asking us about Cornerstone, our philosophy of ministry. And I said, very simple, I want to 
follow Christ. I want to have right doctrine, right life. I want to make sure I'm shepherding my wife. I want to make sure I'm managing my home. And we want to make sure as a church that we're shepherding our members. And we want to make sure we're sharing the gospel through doctrine and life. That's our philosophy. Where do we get this from? Titus chapter 2, 2 through 10. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects, talking to pastors and leaders of the church, to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves, meaning workers, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn a doctrine of God, our Savior. Biblical evangelism by the church is founded upon the members of the church having and growing in these qualities. May God continue to give us grace. Older and younger men, older and younger women, the leaders of our church, and all those who are, are working, may God give us grace to grow in these qualities so that we might shine our light, right? so that they might see the good works that we are bounding in and give glory to God who is in heaven. How can unbelievers give glory to God? They can't. Only way, the first way, the only way is to follow Christ, is to become believers themselves. Well, that is the purpose of our, our study for practical change in everyday life, beginning with our character. Last week, we looked at the first character feature of an older man is that he is to possess, uh, that he is to, he is to be temperate, not given to extremes, sober. Today, the character trait that we want to lock in on, is dignified. Dignified. The Greek word, semnos, it means grave, men of dignity, serious-minded. Other synonyms are venerable, honorable, reputable, stately. It speaks of good character. In 1 Timothy 3, 4, it is translated proper respect. So another idea is worthy of respect. This man, his manner of life is such, his decisions are such, where he carries himself is such, his self-respect is such that he commands respect. He commands it from other men. And the men here, you know what I'm talking about. We don't give respect easily. As men, you have to earn my respect. 
I don't give it to you for free. Well, this kind of man lives such a life that he commands it. You have to give him respect. You just, you owe it to him. You're obliged. You are so, you're in awe of his life. You're so impressed, so encouraged, so challenged by how he conducts his affairs, his family, his work, his approach, the big and small things in life that he garners respect by to those that are around him. As men, dignity is important, is it not? If you're a man and it's not important to you, it ought to be. It must be. Because the Bible calls us to dignity. Calls us to self-respect, integrity, honor. Now, dignity is a common trait, but it is uniquely, in a special way, expressed in a man. Dignity for a woman and dignity for a man is expressed differently. And this is true for all character traits. This is common for all spiritual qualities. Let me repeat that. All character virtues are to be found in men and women, but they are expressed and they are to be demonstrated differently. For example, Galatians 5.22, Paul says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All believers are to possess these fruits and are to grow in these fruits of the Spirit. But men and women are to express it differently. Women express love for God and love for others in certain ways. The fruits of the Spirit. Men, we express love for God and love for others. But not in a fruity way. Right? Keep distinction. Right? Women express love. Men express love. But we do it differently. I think many Christians are confused. Many churches are confused at this point. I was invited to a college um, meeting years ago. They asked me to come and speak. Went down there. And uh, I sit down. First time uh, invited to this group. I have no idea what to expect. And they turn all the lights down. And a female praise leader starts and leading praise. And uh, she's leading these songs that she picked out. And I was just so uncomfortable. It was uh, those God is my boyfriend songs. Now, as a guy, I can't sing those songs. I can't have God be my boyfriend. I can't have Jesus be my boyfriend. Now, she was singing these songs, and she's a woman. So she's singing and talking about dancing with Jesus and holding his hand and embracing him and going into his throne room and touch, you know, just all these sensual, effeminate things. And I was like, I was, I was blushing. I was like, I was being emasculated. I want to walk out. And you know what was worse? I saw these college guys around me and they were just having this like sensual experience singing to Jesus. And I was like, oh no, brothers. <laughs> right? You know, let's put our pants back on. This is not right. Let's remove our makeup because, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's confusion here. 
See, corporately we are the body of Christ. We are His bride. Yes. So corporately we have this relationship with Christ, but not individually. Not individually where I am not the bride of Christ. As a church, yes. But individually, I'm a brother of Christ. I am in Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. Paul never said of himself, I am Christ's bride. Because it cuts into dignity. Cuts into our manhood. Cuts into how God created us. Douglas Wilson said this, Masculine worship does not exclude women in the same way that feminine worship excludes men. End quote. Feminine worship excludes men. In fact, it emasculates men. It makes them effeminate and it makes men run away. Now, women, they're, they're drawn towards feminine worship, but more than that, women are drawn towards Context of masculine worship. When men are mature, dignified, sober, and temperate, and when godly men lead the church in worship, women flourish. Man, children love it. Right? You go home, have your wife lead worship one, one night, and then the husband, you lead worship. And look at the children. Children flourish when men lead. Women love it when men lead in a manly way. But women, when women lead or men lead in feminine ways, drives the men away. In a scriptural worship service, both masculine and feminine elements will be present, but the masculine will be dominant as they lead the church that lead the church. I was one of my key struggles as a young man in following Christ. See, as a young man, I, was, I wanted to be a man. I was a boy, I wanted to be a man. And Christ presented His claims. I went to the church and I didn't want to be effeminate. I didn't want to act like that. I didn't want to like be those guys, right? I wanted to be a man. And so it was like, Okay, I'll carry my cross and, you know, follow Christ and whatever. Even if it means just squashing my dignity, squashing my manhood, I'll do it. You know, I'll embarrass myself, humiliate myself. You know, they use that text of David, you know, dancing, you know, half naked. That's a narrative. Or that's a unique event of the ark of God coming into Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. Right? But it's not what God wants from men. men. God wants men to be dignified. Doug Wilson again, a man should conduct himself in all things with dignity. And young men should learn to conduct themselves with dignity. This does not mean young men or men should be dour, like just or depressed or grave or serious all the time. But it does exclude the general fruitiness that we have come to cultivate among men. Men should long for the dignity of maturity. They must not buy into the current pattern of perpetuating youthful immaturity in dress, manners, and so forth. That's, that's one extreme, the feminization of, of the church. Now, in response to this, the church has reacted to the other extreme. 
I read this article in LA Times a few weeks ago. The title of the article was, Manliness is Next to Godliness. The subtitle was, Seeking to Recapture a Masculine Christianity. And there were interviewing these pastors who were holding God-men revival meetings. They argue that this Christian nice guy is not biblical. It's their attempt to encourage men to get real. And so the meeting starts with a song and the chorus goes like this. Forget the yin and the yang. I'll take the boom and the bang. Don't need in touch with my feminine side. All I want is my testosterone high. So all the men, they're all about testosterone. We are men. We're going to be manly. And they talk about, we can't worship, but Jesus we can beat up. This week, Jesus is not of the Bible. And they encourage men to cuss. And the speaker, the pastor, he cusses himself. As an example of a manly Christian. That he is not a doormat. He will stand his ground. And he won't be walked upon. Paul Coughlin, he wrote a book, No More Christian Nice Guy. Right. So, they actually take men out to the wilderness to act like real men. You know, go shoot some animals and drink blood and, you know, go camping, living out in the wilderness. He, he, distribute, he, distribute, he distributes a list of real man's rules for his woman. Oh, I don't make this stuff up. L.A. Times, you look it up, it's there. Rule number one, tell your wife, quote, learn to work the toilet seat. You are a big girl. If it's up, put it down, right? So all the husbands don't understand what, they're, what he's saying, right? So tell your wife, I'm going to leave my toilet seat up, right? You can put it down yourself. These men's movements confuse masculinity with being obnoxious, right? Being crude. That's not masculinity. Cussing doesn't make you masculine, right? Telling your wife to put her own toilet seat down doesn't make you a man, right? Doesn't make you more godly. You see the errors here? Men following, you know, women and a feminine, uh, you know, role, behavior, and the response, unbiblical masculinity. This is not what the Bible is talking about. Biblical manhood is found right here in Titus 2. What is biblical manhood? It's being temperate. It's being dignified. It's being sober-minded. It's having sound faith, sound love, and sound and steadfastness. That's what we're attempting to do with our study. We want to reclaim biblical manhood. We want to grow in these qualities that with dignity we can follow Christ. Now, before we actually study the marks of being dignified, sometimes it helps us to look at what is not dignified. Look at the opposite, the negative example. Um... So we'll look at three marks of three examples of undignified behavior, undignified um, qualities. Maybe that'll help us. First of all, laziness. Laziness. 
impossible for men. I think impossible for everyone to, res- to give respect to those who are lazy. Right. And doubly for older men who are lazy. If you're a younger man and you're lazy, that's difficult. But if you're an older man and you're lazy, it is near impossible for you to garner respect. But sad to say, a common temptation, universal temptation for men is laziness. Yeah, that's the greatest struggle for all men. Greatest struggle for me. Yes, young man, growing up, even to this day, and we sin downhill. So you sow laziness in a young man, you allow that, you subsidize it, right? And so you clean up after a young man. You, he makes excuses and you accept him, you let him slide by, right? You cover up for a young man and he begins to sin downhill. And for the rest of his life, he's, he's running uphill. I'm, I'm there with you, brothers. And I fight this every day. Such a real temptation to be lazy. The Bible teaches that laziness is a disgrace. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest... Is a son who brings shame. So you bring, up, bring shame upon yourself and your family if you are lazy. Laziness rears its ugly head in so many ways. Sometimes it's hard to discern laziness in your own life. It's hard to discern laziness in other men. But you will see it over time and you will see it rear its ugly head in these few examples few manifestations. Laziness often has no follow-through. We know guys like this, right? He has bursts of energy. During these short bursts of energy, he gets some things done. But he does not maintain. He does not persevere. There is a lack of endurance, perseverance, steadfastness in his life. And he doesn't finish projects. He doesn't complete. He doesn't follow through. He makes promises and many promises. And this is a crapshoot whether he will keep it or not. Proverbs twelve twenty seven: Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. Sometimes this lack of follow through is comical. A very simple thing will, will, will help him to finish this project. Of just a little bit more, a few more hours, a few more maybe minutes, he will complete this task. But you see his laziness. He can't get himself, after he has gone out and hunted his animal, he can't get himself to roast it, to eat. Proverbs 19.24 The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Will not even bring it back to his mouth. Another sign of laziness is he is full of excuses. Full of excuses. Unreasonable excuses. Just justifications after justifications. Makes sense to nobody but him. Proverbs 22.13 The sluggard says, I can't go outside. I can't go to work. I can't fulfill my responsibilities because there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Foolishness so abounds in him 
that his laziness is purported as wisdom. See, I'm being wise. I'm protecting myself, protecting my family, because it's dangerous to go out into the streets. Proverbs 26.13, Solomon elaborates. The sluggard says, there is a line in the road. There is a line in the streets. So as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. He does not wake up from his sleep. He loves slumber. He loves sleep. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wise in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. His life thought is ludicrous. He's going back and forth, tossing and turning in bed. Will not get up. And he says, get up, like, get up sluggard. Right? Go to work. Be, be faithful. Be diligent. He says, no. I'm here out of wisdom. It's dangerous outside. I'm not here because I'm lazy. I'm here because this is a wise thing to do. And he's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Make excuses. Don't follow through. Don't keep promises. These are marks of being undignified. These qualities do not fit a man who profess right doctrine. Such a man is not worthy of respect. Second, maybe, example of being undignified is he is dependent on others. Maybe he's overly dependent on others. He's not self-reliant. He's not resourceful. He's not dependent upon God for himself. But he's dependent upon others as a man. As a man, others should depend on us. We should carry the load. We should take the responsibility. The buck should stop with us. But an undignified man, he doesn't want the load. He doesn't want the responsibility. In fact, he is dependent on others. I see this quality... Even in Elizabeth, when she was three, I was helping her with her tire shoes, and she's like, Daddy, I'll do it. Right? So even a three-year-old, you want to help them tie their shoelaces, they have the sense of, no, Dad, I can do it. I want to try. Even if I fail, even if it takes me ten minutes, and you're late for church, it's okay. Let me try. Man, I can respect that. Right? If a three-year-old girl has that kind of mentality, how much more a man, and how much more an older man but when a man is dependent upon his wife, dependent upon his family, dependent upon friends, strangers, the government, financially, emotionally, spiritually, that's not right. That doesn't garner, garner respect, let alone self-respect. Read the book um, about James J. Braddock. All right, heavyweight champion uh, during the Depression. Great book. I'll let you borrow mine if you don't want to pay for it. Great book. He worked at the loading docks. Uh, he broke his hand, couldn't fight anymore. Three children living in a basement. Ran out of heat, ran out of uh, food. So he um, swallowed his pride and went to the government welfare office to get a government welfare check. After he won several fights, 
He had money. He went back to the welfare office to pay the U.S. government back for the welfare money that he received. Man, nobody does that. Who pays taxes and then on top of that pays the government back? But that's his self-respect. That's his dignity as a man. He wants to take care of his family and he doesn't want to depend upon anyone else, even the government. He wants to hold his own. He wants to carry the load. And when he's able, he considered he borrowed the money from the government and he paid it back every cent. Man, that's worthy of respect. That's dignified. But a man who is perpetually, maybe long-term, permanently dependent upon others, my family members, friends, right? They're just, they're just like, just, they're loading upon you, the government. That is not dignified, right? Number three, um, I got this from Alex and Brett Harris. Uh, adult essence, right? Adult essence, social scientists have identified a new stage of life in development among men. It's dubbed adult essence. It covers the ages of 18 to 29. See, I was right. 18 to 29. A permanent trend among American youth where they refuse to grow up. They, Alex and Brett refer to them as kiddles. Not, they're not adults, they're kiddles. They often live with their parents even after college. They hop from job to job relationship to relationship. They generally lack direction, commitment, and, and financial independence and personal responsibility, while somehow they manage to spend more time and money than the average American on clothes, movies, music, computers, video games, and eating out. One of these adult essence guys was asked if he was looking forward to marriage, family, owning a home. His answer, I don't ever want to... Lawn, own a lawn. I don't ever want to be a parent. I mean, why would I? There is so much fun to be had while you're young. According to Dan Morrison, president of some 20-something Inc., kiddos have become the dream demographic, demographic for a host of products and services from electronics, Game Boys, flat screen TVs, iPods, to designer clothes, cars, and vacations. I think Bob and I are talking about this. Uh, advertisers who are targeting men in the age of 18 to 29, they're, the greatest amount of advertising money goes to Cartoon Network. Right? So if they want to reach young men, they advertise on Cartoon Network because that's the channel most young men watch. Most of their needs are taken care of by mom and dad. So their income is largely discretionary. They're living at home, but if you look at their lives, you'll see flat screen TVs in their bedrooms and brand new cars in the driveway. You know, it's not worthy of respect. As men, we should be providing for our parents. We should be providing for others, seeking responsibility. You know, I don't want to be on a soapbox. It's a small soapbox. Alex and Brett Harris uh, give some good applications for those who are ensnared by this uh, by this adult essence. 
They tell men, identify at least one older friend who will help you be accountable, help you in accountability, keep you accountable to being a responsible man. Don't look to peers. Don't look to men younger than you. Look to an older man and he who will tell you the truth and keep you accountable. Tell your friends that you refuse to be a consumer only. Then back it up. Don't waste your time surfing the web, watching TV and movies and reading these, these pop culture magazines. Instead, read some great books and talk about them with your friends. Don't eat out so much. Instead, learn how to cook, not microwave dinners. Right? It's healthier, smarter, and gives you an opportunity to serve others. How about this? Don't buy more clothes you don't need. Right? Instead, donate some to people who really need them. If you live at home, volunteer to help with jobs around the house. Volunteer. Ask your dad, how can I help? Ask your mom, what can I do? Help around the house. Initiate some big, important maintenance projects that your parents have been putting off. Commit yourself to a local church and find a way to serve. Now these are marks, three marks of undignified behavior. Let's go to the positive. The first is just from the definition of the word, grave. They're serious. Right? They have a serious approach to life. You know, basketball coaches have this, right? They tell their players, well, you don't respect me, that's one thing, but respect the game, right? So like football players, man, play hard, respect the game. And God's like, yeah, I gotta respect the game, you know. When I step on the field, it's all business, right? Well, the Bible says respect life, right? Respect life. Take life seriously. You should be a grave and serious man. A man free from levity of character, from frivolity and fickleness in his conversation with his children should be a sober-minded man, a man who maintains self-respect, so much so his life inspires others. Doesn't mean that they're boring people. Please, okay? Doesn't mean they're gloomy people, but it does mean they're not frivolous, they're not flippant, they're serious in life. They understand that we live in a fallen world. They understand one day, men won't need to fight. Men won't need to till the land because hard because it won't produce fruit. One day that day will come where God will provide and we will turn our swords into plowshares. There will be no more war. That day will come, but that day has not arrived. Today is not that day. There is war. There is work to be done. There are, there's load to be carried. There are burdens in the world. And it's for men to carry these burdens. Men to fight these fights. Men to do the protecting and providing. Understanding that men are grave. They are serious. I told you this story. When I first learned this, I was uh, like 24, 25 years old. And my parents filed for bankruptcy and we lost everything. I think I was like 25, 26. I was about a year from getting married to Serene. And uh, I was expecting this lavish, great wedding, you know. But we lost everything. A sheriff actually came to our door 
knocked on it and gave us papers, eviction papers. We had 30 days to leave. That was no joke. There was no like clown around. Everything's gone. And I saw how my dad, you know, he came to America with $60, you know, worked and built all, everything up. He lost it. And how he carried himself with dignity. How he conducted himself as a man who was responsible. He didn't sulk. He wasn't bitter. He gave it up and continued to work hard. And I knew right then, I'm 20, 25, 26, going to be married in a year. It's going to be all on me. I'm not going to depend upon my dad. You know, I'm not going to depend on Serene's dad. It's on me. Time to get serious. Put these toys behind me. I need to, I need to see the seriousness of life. For a young man, this is important. For older man, this is imperative. This is essential. And Pastor MacArthur wrote this in somewhat lengthy, but it's worth our attention. Talking about older men who are grave, he said, they've seen too much and felt too much to be trivial. They've buried their parents in most cases. They've stood in hospital waiting rooms while those they love died. They've been waiting for the surgeon to come out and explain what happened in the cancer surgery to a life partner. They've watched the child rebel. They've watched the child die of leukemia. They've watched the child die of cancer. They've seen it all. They've felt it all. They have borne the burdens of their own life and family and the burdens of a myriad of other people with whom they have shared life. They've come to the disillusioning reality and fact that the world is not going to get any better. And they can't make it any better nor can anybody else. They've lived through all the anticipated utopian thoughts. They have lived through the hopeful euphorias that said we're going to fix everything and they're down on the other side of it and they know with an honesty that life is the way it is because man is the way he is and he's not going to change apart from Christ. Things aren't as funny as maybe they were when he was young because life is too serious. Life is too serious. So first mark of a man who is dignified is that his character, his approach to life, there is a gravity, there is a seriousness, there is a soberness that, that permeates, that colors his, his attitude towards life. Second mark of a dignified man is that his life is in order. His life is in order. The English synonym is respectable, right? Respectable. So an elder must be respectable. The Greek word is cosmos, cosmios. It means in order. It's not chaos, it's cosmos. It's in order. So an older man who is dignified does not have a chaotic lifestyle, but his lifestyle is in order. He's got his ducks in a row. His checking account is balanced. Right? He leads his family with dignity. His wife respects him. His children respects him because his car is clean. His room is clean. He makes a mess then he cleans up his own mess. He doesn't treat his wife as a maid. He doesn't treat others as his personal assistants. His life's in order because he is diligent in his life. I mean, it starts with just personal grooming, right? You know, a guy, and he's just messy. He's dirty. His hair is out of control. 
got bad breath, body odor. Like simple grooming things that you teach young men. He's so lazy, he's slow, out of control. His life's not in order. No, a godly man is stately. He's an honorable man. Homer Kent Jr. said, talking about leaders in the church, but applies to everyone, the ministry is no place for the man whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activities. The man must have his act together. Act together. He makes promises and he keeps them. He makes an appointment, he's on time. Oh, he's early. He's got his act together. Third and final one, it comes from our study in John 19. An example of Christ. His example of a dignified man is faithful to his responsibilities to God and man. Faithful to his responsibilities to God and man. As men, we want to make excuses and say we can't do both. I can't follow Christ because of my work, because of my job. I'm so busy. Or, yeah, I'm not a good employee. I'm a poor husband. Right? I'm not a good leader at home. My life's a mess. But, man, you see my ministry at church. You should see how much I'm praying. You should see how many people I've evangelized. We want to make these excuses. We can't do it all. But Christ's example is that he was faithful to both. A model of a true servant. As the oldest son, he was faithful to God and faithful to man. He didn't use human responsibility as an excuse from being faithful to his responsibilities to God. He didn't say, Father, I can't go to the cross because of my mom. Who will take care of her? She's a widow. My dad, Joseph, is gone. No, I have to live. I have to make money, start a business, take care of my mom, and take care of my half-brothers and sisters. No, he was faithful to his priority of submitting to the Father. And he didn't use his earthly responsibilities as an excuse. So many men abdicate spiritual responsibilities and the excuse is, I'm so busy with work. If I didn't have this awful boss, this, you know, this crazy expectations from my uh, company, wow, I'll be a ministering giant. You know, I'll be all over the word and shepherding my wife. That's not dignified. Godly man is faithful to God and doesn't use excuses. Conversely, our Lord didn't use His responsibility to God as an excuse to be unfaithful to His human responsibilities. He was a faithful son to His Father in Heaven and He was a faithful son to Mary, His mother on earth. Right before he died on the cross, he had made arrangements previously with John. John, I'm going to die on the cross. My mom's a widow, and I'm the oldest son. The Asian culture, we understand what it means to be the oldest son. That the responsibility is upon us to care for our parents in their need. He didn't abdicate this responsibility and say, What? You want me to do that too? I mean, I'm dying on the cross. I'm going to incur the wrath of God. 
I'm a ransom for the whole, you know, all the elect. I gotta take care of my mom too. You take care of it. No, he knew his responsibility and he didn't neglect it. On the cross, he remembered his mom. In his hour of agony and pain, he said, John, this is your mother. This is what we talked about. You will now take care of her as your own mom. I think so many Christian men use Christianity as a scapegoat. Use God and church and ministry. They hide behind that for their failings in human responsibilities. Dignified men, we don't do that. We must not do that. We make no excuses. We omit when we fail. When we make mistakes, we are readily uh, eager to own up to it. But what we strive towards is to be fully faithful to God and fully faithful to the privileges of leadership that God has granted to us as men in and every way. Just remain where you are. Let's close our eyes for the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray for our men and I pray for myself. Lord, this world... uh, is filled with uh, pitfalls and trappings and temptations to lead men away, men astray, to shipwreck their faith, leading men away from uh, true godliness, true Christ-likeness. And all of us here, and myself included, are to varying degrees are ensnared by these temptations. Lord, without your mercy and grace, we are without hope. Oh God, would you shine brightly the example of Christ in all of our minds, especially the men. And you grant in us faith, not in our own efforts or strength or discipline, but faith in Christ that you will produce in us, that you have begun a good work and you will finish it and you will produce men of honor and dignity in our church, men who will eagerly accept and embrace responsibilities so that we might be a shining light to this world. We cast ourselves at your feet, O God. Lord, please help us to continue to pray in this area. Continue to uh, depend upon you and, and call upon your name and trusting you that you will produce these qualities in the men of our church. We pray that you would help the women to pray for the men, to defer, to step aside, to not subsidize men when they're lazy, not to justify, not to accept their excuses, but to help boys become men and men to become godly men by stepping to the side and encouraging, praying, and helping the men of our church. We thank you and praise you for the wisdom of the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, Amen.